0: This is the Comstock Report Podcast. We are strong advocates for the American family farm and your top
1: source for the agriculture markets. It is Friday, which means it is finally time for the weekly wrap up. My name is Brian Hendrickson. I have Eric and Matthew here today. Welcome, welcome.
0: Hello. Thanks for having us.
1: Thanks for joining us this week. It started off kind of Monday was kind of obsolete in a way. Tuesday, everybody was... Waiting for for the reports. Did we have time to digest those reports, and did we even bounce back from them?
0: Well, we digest. I, I think that's still a work in progress. But you know, definitely didn't see any bounce back after that. We we I guess finished off the lows for the week. But that's about the most you can say for it. December corn finishes the week down seven and a half at four seventy six and a quarter. Um, That was directly relative to higher carry number. Uh, Maybe people were looking for a lower yield than what we saw. I don't know. I I think they were pretty well in line with where they reduced it to. Um, Needed a number that was lower than the last print, but didn't necessarily have to be close to 170 like a lot of people were talking about. So now we shift, you know, reports behind us. Maybe we've digested that completely, but definitely focusing on these early yield reports. And kind of how that's gonna trend, and I don't know if everyone's hearing the same thing I am, and Matthew, I know you're hearing things from different people and reading things online and stuff, but you seem to always hear about the bad during these kind of situations before you hear about the good and and that's definitely been the case for me anyway, you know I'm hearing well, the farm went two sixty last year, and we're getting one forty five and Normally we're 200 and we're 160 and those kinds of things, but I don't know if that's necessarily the trend we're going to see, but that's the early reports we're hearing.
2: The field reports are so spotty and variable this year, and you could say that's the case every year, but it seems like it's even worse this year, and so it makes it nearly impossible to really um, come with an accurate uh, or confident uh, estimation of what the crop results are going to be because you can... um, you easily have fifty bushels, or um, you know, within a, a field in yield variation, and across the farm, you can have a hundred bushels or more. And so, uh, in the corn, anyway, and so it's it's just making that a challenge, I think, and, and that's you're going to con- see that you're going to see that continue through the the harvest season.
0: Yeah, well, and then you know, the other thing, kind of keeping its thumb on this, is well, okay, we're trying to sort out what's the yield going to be, and and how spotty is that. Uh, meanwhile, we're getting awfully close to last year's record low on the Mississippi and how is that impacting basis levels? And, and that's another big deal that the bears are hanging their hat on and, and barge rates are high. We know that there is a little relief inside in the extended forecast when you look at the latter half of next week, but all of this is, you know, those are the major talking points for those thinking, well, maybe we could go lower now. The inverse to that is ethanol. I mean, that's a big story, and you and I talked about it before, and actually you had pointed out a few things earlier today uh, with regards to ethanol. I mean, why are they going to slow down this crush seasonally when normally they would. You know, we're getting close to harvest, and, and they would normally slow down and do plant maintenance and those kinds of things, but they've got three and four times their typical margins, if not more in some cases
2: yeah these are the the times that the ethanol plants tend to fl- thrive right they have high fuel costs and low uh corn costs and so their profit margins are begun to skyrocket you know we saw this at one point uh in the uh COVID period i don't know if it was 2020 2021 where um their profit margins shot over a dollar um per per gallon and historically you know it obviously it's fluctuating every day every week every month but historically i think the long term average is like 12 cents a gallon that the ethanol plants profit from and uh right now it's approaching 90 cents a gallon and uh looks like it could you know continue to go higher and so that is a pretty strong argument hey if the ethanol uh companies are profitable and they're making money they're going to want to uh produce more ethanol they're going to want to buy more and so that speaks highly of demand i think
0: yeah and you know we we don't necessarily need the export market that we've had in years gone by if we're having that kind of demand for ethanol especially in a renewable fuel thriving uh, economy here and you know the administration's pushing it we've been hearing about it for years and i think that's going to continue and so i, I I think that's probably the biggest storyline for the bull side to offset some of the things that we've talked about from the bear side. Um, On that note, uh, as far as corn demand, you know, one of the other talked about things, and most people don't have the perspective that you do, how are we comparing with South America right now? We know that we're, what, this is the first year we're number two to them in exports for corn, but where are we at price-wise? How do you see that playing out in the coming months?
2: Well, price wise, you know, Brazil is generally very competitive. I I think through most of this year, they had quite a big jump on us in terms of price. Um, I would say up until a month ago, we kind of closed that gap a little bit. You know, I I have some numbers here for you that uh, U.S. export prices for corn about six bucks right now. And uh, Brazil's is about 580. So it's it's 20 set difference. It's It's been wider than that in the past. I think the thing that concerns me is what's going on with the Mississippi River. And that's probably going to set us back because you've seen barge freights increase 50 percent in the last month and, and just surged. Um, and I don't know what's going to change that here in the short term, just because the, the water levels uh, have uh, basically shot back down to their record low levels. And we need more rainfall and precipitation, and um, you know we're seeing the drought uh, uh, become more permanent in the Midwest and pretty much all four corners of Iowa are in, at least in some level of drought. That seems to be the epicenter, kind of northeast part of Iowa, and it just continues to expand. And you know we get little showers here and there, but it's nothing that's been drought breaking or really been able to to turn things around. And so, um, you know, in the case of the soybeans. Uh, uh, kind of similar situation that the U.S. soybean prices for export about fourteen seventy compared to uh fourteen forty in Brazil, and so um the Brazil is kind of on the tail end of their U.S. soybean export season. Um, this is in the case of the corn. This is Brazil's prime corn export season. So I don't think that we should be surprised. It seems like we always get to this period, and the pundits always cry out, "Oh my gosh, Brazil is." you know, exporting so much corn, they're kicking our butt. Well, that's, it's kind of seasonal, you know, they, they're, they're just wrapped up their harvest. So they have this huge uh, crop supply. They got to get rid of, and they got to ship it out. And, uh, and so they're going gangbusters at the port doing that right now. Uh, and that you know is going to happen uh, through, at least through the end of the year and might uh, move into a little bit next year. But uh, so as a general statement, Brazil kind of controls the second half of the year for corn exports and the U S kind of takes that roll back in the first half of the year. And so you're going to, you're going to see that, um, continue to take place. It's going to shift a little bit more, perhaps Brazil's tail as their crop grows is going to extend a little bit further into ours, into the, into January, things like that. But, uh, um, you know, that's kind of the situation there for act fords
0: One of the other things that I, I've been having to repeatedly tell people is, you know, we, we sat in a room and talked with people who are very well in the know of what China's situation is. And, and I keep having to remind people their season is overlapping ours just almost perfectly right now. And so they want to see what their supply is going to be like domestically and then sort out who they're buying from and how much they're going to be buying. So that's another thing that we've got to kind of wait out and see how that plays out.
1: How are you guys feeling where China ended up, the exports that were didn't have a label on where they were going ended up being some China? Were you guys surprised by that? Were you guys kind of like, okay, expecting it?
2: No. (laughs) I feel like, isn't it eight times out of 10, the unknown buyer is China?
0: Yeah. Unknown destination almost invariably ends up being China. It's, I don't, I think when I, usually when I print like daily flash sales to unknown destinations, I'll usually put in parentheses China because (laughs) it's just almost always that way. But that did, for some reason this week, that made a lot of headlines that, that they had shifted from unknown to China. And, and that then made them the biggest buyer of corn for the first time in quite a while
2: yeah that that's the biggest shift here is uh china is is buying so much more corn from brazil but part of yeah. that is reflective of what's happening in the ukraine where they you know they used to buy quite a bit more from there and and you know obviously it's it's hard time it's hard getting grain out of the uk ukraine region and so they got to find someplace else that's a little bit more reliable and probably cheaper too because even if they can get it out of the ukraine there's a cost to that because it isn't going out of the you know the the ocean ports anymore it's got to be driven a lot further and go through war zones and across eastern europe to be to get out so
1: all right let's switch over to soybean where did november soybean close out today
0: yeah, so to finish the week out uh for the week we were down 9 and a quarter in the November soybeans at 13.40 and a quarter. I think with the carry numbers that we saw and a little reduction in yield, we should have performed a little better than that. I know that we were all scratching our heads trying to figure out why we weren't seeing a better market reaction to the numbers that were printed on Tuesday. The global numbers didn't change much, so we didn't we shouldn't have seen a lot of pressure there and Throughout that, we had, during that same time frame, we were hearing reports that the ADM crush plant at Decatur, Illinois had exploded, the soybean crush plant. And as a result, they had shut down, of course, and then also shut down their corn crush plant next door, their ethanol plant. So that that was catching a lot of headlines right at the same time as the report. So you had kind of some questions as to, okay, what's really causing this? But I did uh, speak with uh, a person that is employed by ADM and and their talking points and media points that they were releasing were, this explosion occurred in a very specialized portion of their soybean crush plant. It's not in the general portion where they're crushing for oil. Um, and so they had to shut everything down to conduct their investigation. And they're hoping to have the corn section back up uh, yet this week, You know, through the weekend. by uh, So starting out next week, they should be back up on the ethanol side. And then by the end of next week, have the the standard soybean crush back up online. So that if that was applying any pressure, that should be a non-issue soon enough. Uh, but I did think it was interesting and, and probably a little ridiculous that the USDA decreased both domestic crush demand and export demand for soybeans just to kind of balance out and maintain pipeline supply for this report. Uh, I don't know how that rubbed you, Matt, but I that didn't sit real well with me.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of traders are scratching their heads, and, and in in all honesty, it just seems like the USDA is rearranging uh, things on their balance sheet to prop up the carryover stocks for soybeans so that it doesn't go below 200, and in all likelihood, we're probably below that, but uh, I suppose to stave off inflation or, or uh, keep everyone happy, they're trying to to prop that up and so it's uh you know they're kind of running out of excuses and and a lot of their methodology for yeah i think uh increasing the the or excuse me decreasing the demand and the crushings that you talked about uh just doesn't make a lot of sense doesn't match up with what we're seeing in a lot of the numbers and so and we just talked about that earlier right that um you know that that the soil oil stocks are what at 11 year lows right now. And so, uh, and, uh, and yes, we are just got out of August, which, um, you know, you were talking about historically is, it's been a poor month for, for, uh, for, for demand, but, uh, overall for the year, it's, it's been pretty healthy demand and they're forecasting healthy exports for China. Uh, and, and so, uh, it makes me think that we're gonna, they're gonna have to come clean here maybe in the, uh, end of the month, September, stocks reports what i don't know what you think about that yeah
0: that's that's kind of one that i'm i'm anxiously awaiting that that quarterly stocks report you know two out of the last four years that's been a big mover um yeah the the august crush phenomenal for august second largest on record you've got you know multi-year lows in the soil stocks and that's what they're after so i i just don't see cause for weakness here um yeah here it's, we are it's, it's, either, it,
2: they, they did kind of placate everyone by lowering the yield but then they they offset it you know and, th- and that's a, been a similar thing you know that they've yeah. done um many times before this isn't anything new they offset those those losses and and uh to kind of keep those ending stocks a little bit higher and so that it just seems pretty um i guess evident in what they're trying to do
0: are we seeing some pressure from you know th- this is planting season now we're we're september 15th uh, are we seeing pressure from the idea of brazil's acreage
2: uh, i i think we're still ahead of that yet uh you know if you look at uh brazil's growing season and and one of those uh images that i wanted to share um you know their prime planting season overall is really kind of begins in october yeah, and there's still a lot of areas of Brazil that plant in November and December, even. And so it's a, it's a, depending on Brazil's a huge country, right? It's uh, you know, and so they're planting someplace in the country three months out of the year. And so are there places that have already started planting, um, you know, in, in September? Oh, sure. Um, you know, but it's less than 1%. Um, and uh, there was, a lot of, I think, uh, conflicting stories about well some people were going to start earlier. And it was a very limited number of people that got special permission from the state government. In the case of Monogroso, um that had large areas, probably had some political influence, to be honest, or large operations, and planted second crop cotton, which takes a little, has a longer cycle than corn. And so, yeah, there are cases um, where people plant it started earlier in September. But The other situation I think a lot of people were of that we're entering into an El Nino in South America. And uh, while the El Nino hasn't appeared to have shaken out like we thought here in the United States, it sort of is in Brazil right now. And so what happens in an El Nino year in Brazil, you have a wet uh, season in the southern part of the country and a drier season in the northern part of the country. And so we've seen very heavy rains in Rio Grande do Sul and the southern part of the country. Uh, and, uh, and we've, doesn't mean there's drought in the, to the north. It just could mean that it just rains less in the north, which is where Mato Grosso is. And so that's where, you know, it's a bigger state, which where it gets most of the attention. And so I think farmers are aware of that, that, uh, okay, I, you know, and then maybe in other years or normal year, I might be able to, uh, go ahead and plant earlier than normal, but they're all seeing the same thing. They're seeing the same weather forecast that we see, and, and it's showing that, uh, um, boy, this October and November are you gonna start out dry and do I really wanna put a seed in dirt that's basically been without you know any moisture for the last five months and last you know, in the dry season and so uh they're better off maybe holding back a little bit and uh uh making sure that they get good uh uh germination um you know and the rainy season establishes itself a little better and and as a general rule, I mean, they don't want to even begin um, planting until they get three inches of rain. And, uh, and and so, you know, that could take some time. Um, and, uh, and so it's just kind of risky. You know, that, it, that really doesn't. I think if if you see a shift from, OK, we're not making much planting progress in early October and it gets pushed back to late October, I think you'll see the market respond to that. Uh, I think the market is aware that this dry forecast exists, but as we know, there's a difference between the forecast and what actually happens. Reality, so I think right. it's maybe looking, want to get into the month of October, uh, early October, till we say, okay, we get to early October and, boy, it's still dry. I think you'll see the market respond to that.
0: Um <laughs> And then that has reverberating effects later for the safrina corn and things of that nature, too.
2: Well, I would argue it it, uh, it doesn't necessarily affect the uh, the soybean crop in Brazil as much as it does the following corn crop. Because, you know, they have plenty of time to do one soybean crop in Brazil. It's just it's it's always rush, 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 go, go, go to get their first soybean crop in so they have time to get the second corn crop in. And, and that's kind of the limiting factor, right? Because a lot of these guys, ideally, they want to be able to plant their corn crop in January. Well, to plant in January, you got to have the soybean crop in, you know, late September, early October. Well, if yeah. that doesn't happen, um, it's not that they can't plant in, their corn in, 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 after that. It's just it gets pushed pushed back to the point where the the growing season for the second crop falls into the dry season and that really starts to, to see the yield fall off after that. And so um, yeah. I I, yeah. I think you'll see both market reacts. I think you'll see the soybean market react to it. Um but I think the the smart money and the traders will recognize that um longer term this is really gonna affect the corn market. Um and and so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Sure.
1: All right, let's switch it over to livestock. Eric, every week, I kind of root for the pigs, just being <laughs> a pig girl. <laughs> How did the hogs do this week? How did we close out today?
0: For the week, actually, October hogs were up $1.60 at 83.12. Saw a little sign of life in a couple of different ways. Um, cash wasn't tanking, so that was good. We actually saw both integrated and non-integrated packers in positive margins. However, Thursday morning, weekly export sales come out. And we're 26% below the four-week average on pork sales, uh, export sales for the week. So not real pretty there either, Uh, but we'll talk about it more, but uh, sharply higher cattle market really helped prop the hogs up this week. I think they were just, no pun intended, piggybacking off the cattle.
1: Well, let's talk about the big winner, cattle. (laughs) Yeah. How did we close out today?
0: Uh, October cattle finished the week 370 higher at 186.92. New contract highs in every contract of feeder and live cattle today on Friday's trade. Um, that is a little contradictory to a couple of the uh, fundamental inputs that we would normally focus on. One of those being the box beef cutouts. We're seeing choice slide lower while select is moving higher. That's usually a sign of buyer fatigue at the consumer side. Uh, they're not willing to pay up for the prime cuts. And then we saw similar action in the weekly export sales, uh, even more so than on the pork. The cattle were 56% below their four-week average, uh, not the cattle, the the beef. So um, you're, you're seeing some signs that maybe this market's getting a little tired, and then you just explode higher, which cattle are known for what we call blow-off tops. And we could be setting something like that up. But... There's no arguing that the, the original fundamental factors that created this bull run, and that is herd liquidation, uh, that still exists. And that does, that's not something in cattle you can rebuild in a year like you can in hogs. So the, the underlying issue is still there. Uh, we did see cash cattle trade a little higher this week. You were anywhere from steady to $3 higher, depending on where you were at in the five area feeding region. So, you know, kind of some mixed signals here, but it's, it's probably going to take another 30 days before we sort this thing out a little bit.
1: Overall, how do you guys think this week went?
0: I think it was exhausting.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't like it. I was disappointed. Um, I feel like we're right back where we were on Tuesday. You know, we've yep. got a little pop and then, um, you know, you look at the weekly chart and the tr- overall trajectory stayed the same. We just kind of continued to drift lower and uh yes we got the uncertainty of the september crop report behind us but i think now everyone's maybe looking to the stocks report at the end of the month but they're mostly looking to harvest and just um you know you, eric you've said this in the past right it's just uh, we're we're kind of in that uh no man's land right now of just drifting lower until we get through the harvest and get that behind us and people actually know what the crop ends up looking like would you agree
0: yeah and, and you know we can listen to all the reports we want from clients and, you know, seeing it on social media and all this, but typically you only see the best and the worst and you don't really have any idea where the average is. I do think the numbers for Illinois and Iowa are probably a little high. I hope we'll see a reflection of that. That'll help the market a little bit. But um, if we continue to see a lackluster export program while we wait on those numbers to come in in October and November, then we may not be doing ourselves any favors there either. So really tough to figure which way we could be headed here. You got, the, you'd the, like to see that 473 and a half hold in December, but.
2: Well, yeah, we we needed to, right. But the one thing that looks good is the wheat, you know, that's what surprises me. And then I said the same thing on Tuesday that, uh, you know, the wheat, the wheat had a good close, but it's also gotten beat up probably a lot more than anything else has. And so, um, yeah. but you look at the weekly chart right now, and, and we sold off pretty good from the bottom. So I'm, I'm hoping we can, build on that momentum and and uh can kind of take the corn market with it
0: yeah yeah i had some nice days this week in the wheat and follow through there would certainly be a good thing so
1: all right that'll do it for this week's wrap-up thanks for coming on y'all
0: guys have a good weekend Yep. for a more complete version of the comstock report with hedging strategies and trade recommendations subscribe on our website at comstock.com